You're not really a politician in Malta if you don't have at least one fraud scandal going on, is it? It's like the Brabant of the Mediterranean. It's Friday, June 19th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Runners High Denier. And with me today, as always, are Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Ideal Global Public Transit Map Victim. And we are also joined by Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Rijswijk Fitness Center Chuckler. These are these are pretty good job descriptions. These like are good job titles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm impressed with myself too. Yeah. Sometimes I uh, I can do a good job. Sometimes you impress yourself. Um, Molly, what's going on with the public transit maps? I've completely missed it. So uh, someone tweeted um, a, an image of a like sort of global train map. Um, oh, I've seen. I have seen this. Yeah. And said, like, could you imagine if the world's train system was actually like this? And it's taken from the cover of a book that's like, I don't know, ten or fifteen years old now. But the map is bad. Um, it's bad for, for a number of reasons, <laughs> not the least of which is, is that basically the map sort of shows kind of a, a sort of subway style map, but like as if the world was connected, like all the big major cities were connected. Um, Africa is listed as being under construction. I think they had two stops. And that was it. <laughs> yes. So that's a problem. Um, and also there's a number of other issues, like namely that like, on the, the way the map is designed, it makes it seem like Bulgaria, Iraq, and uh, uh, India are all on, like, one latitudinal line, which is not yeah. how that works. Mm-hmm. The entire center of the U.S. is missing, which, I mean, that could just be an intentional design Yeah, that's okay. That, I don't, that see, I don't, don't, don't expect to have an issue with that. But yeah. the thing that outraged me the most is that even <laughs> in this imaginary idealized transit map there is no direct train connection between the netherlands and luxembourg <laughs> <laughs> yeah also i noticed like amsterdam was suddenly suddenly about 300 miles apart from the hague yes there was also that. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. somehow like rotterdam is closer to cologne than it is to the hague like yeah. on this map it's not a great map yeah, I mean, in subway maps, they have distorted geographical um, proportions, yeah. but mm. this one was just, I mean, Europe was, I think, four-fifths of the entire world, yeah. and yeah. the and rest of the, the world was, 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 was tiny. I mean, which is so how a... Europe feels about the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, and, and, the, and the Atlantic Ocean just didn't exist. Yeah, there's yeah, no it's, Atlantic it's like, Ocean. It's like yeah. somebody had actually drained the swamp, yeah. which was a bit alarming. <laughs> uh. Gordon, what is happening in Rijswijk? <laughs> well, what, what, what isn't happening in Rijswijk? You know, it's a, it's a hotbed of activity. Um, no, I, I know what this is about. This is because um, in, in the midst of the Black Lives Matter and uh, all the talk about um, pulling down statues and changing street names, um, there's a lot of concern about uh, the statue of Winston Churchill in London. Which was turned into a statue of Boris Johnson in the fridge. Indeed, <laughs> Indeed yes. <laughs> right, so they just put a big uh, um, oblong concrete block on it so it looked as if it was like a uh, yeah, like concrete fridge. I totally forgot about that fucking political like scandal until just now. <laughs> it reminded me of one of my favorite pieces of uh, nomenclature, which is uh, there is a fitness center in Reisweg called, which is named after Winston Churchill. 
It's called the Sir Winston, the Sir Winston Fitness Centre because it's on the Sir Winston Churchill land. That's why. Oh. But it's just amusing that he's got a fitness centre named after him. If you know anything at all about Winston Churchill's lifestyle and attitude to fitness, <laughs> which is basically wake up in the morning, have half a bottle of port before starting work, and smoke about yeah. a dozen cigars. So I think I want to go on the yeah. Winston Churchill diet. I've clearly been doing my mornings wrong. Also, he, he also drank a lot of champagne and uh, yeah. whiskey. So if you're yes. into champagne and whiskey, then you definitely should. Uh, should you should make a beeline for the, but for the on fitness centre to base fact. Intersection. With the fitness center, there's also a Winston Churchill or like the Churchill or something casino and the immigration yes. office, which is all yeah. very <laughs> ironic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I wonder if there, yeah. is a, uh, if there is a fridge store over there. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Rice Bikes, so like, that's be. where they put all the big like <laughs> furniture stores. Yeah. Yeah, the big kind of out of town solar shopping centres. So there probably is. You can probably buy yourself a fridge there. Yeah. And uh, on the subject of fitness, uh, Paul, what's uh, going on with uh, your runners high? What's uh... I reached the point in the year that I started to restarted uh, running again on a regular basis, and I, I usually uh, take that up around in the, the the middle of May, and then I will do it until the summer, and then I will drop it again. And, and then you become the a slob again. Will, is so, it yeah, is it because you're trying to get your body bikini ready, Paul? What's the summer <laughs> correlation? <laughs> well, well, there is uh, there is no. I mean, usually I go out when it's nice weather, yeah, and then I right, like to run. Enough. And in the winter it's cold, and in the summer it's too hot. Yeah. So that's basically the reasons why I don't do it around that time. But every time I start again. I am running and uh, I mean we, we just talked about corona that you lo- lose c- uh, all your complete sense of time well I have that while I'm running so mm. I'm I'm running and I feel like I, I've been running for at least 20 minutes and then my app tells me that I'm just finished three minutes or something <laughs> it just slows down time so much and even though it's only half uh, half an hour because i always run for five kilometers or something it just feels like i'm doing it for two hours and uh, when i talk with people about running they they say oh yeah i like to do it because the i have this runner's high and then uh, i can just k- keep going and keep going but i never experienced a runner's high yeah so i i just deny its existence because i never <laughs> experienced it yeah. but what my my theory is that just like um, you know, there is this gene uh, that uh, determines if you think coriander sm- uh, uh, tastes like uh, soap or not. Yes. Mm-hmm. One third of people have that. I think there is also a runner's high gene. Uh, I think at least half of the people do not have this gene, so they will never experience the runner's high. Yeah, I think definitely some people get it more often than others. But I've had it but only very, very rarely, I think. And I have to, have to be running for at least an hour. I'm not going to I, do that because I will no, die. I, yeah. I get a runner's high like five minutes into it. Actually, as as someone who has done a not insubstantial amount of drugs in their life, the best drug <laughs> I can do is is go for go for a run. Ah, uh, fuck I off. Know. I do not believe this at all. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just saying this to wind up Paul now. I, I'm, I'm really, it's super annoying. I mean, it's great for me, but it's very annoying for everybody else. But yeah, yeah. no, I think it's great. It's like easily the best sort of like mental health experience that that i can do which is why i run all the time year round because it's 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 great makes me feel great well for me it has the opposite effect for my mental health so uh, Mm. it's better for me not to do it anyway but i mean i have to (laughs) exercise at least in some way so that's why i force myself to to go run every 
But I hate it. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I mean, you could come up with a form of exercise that maybe you hate less, Paul. Have you considered yeah. that? Like what? I don't know. Like go I mean, to the gym, go, take up a fitness cy- class. Cycling? No. You know, there's lots of cycling. Do some yoga, cycling, yeah. corfball. Yeah, cycling, cycling, I, uh, corfball. <laughs> cycling, I don't mind that much, but cycling is too much a efficient mode of, uh, of, of transportation yeah. that it doesn't mm. burn calories that much. Oh, right, yeah. Well, you just got to pedal so, harder. Yeah. You need so, one of those well, okay, like little okay. racing bike things. Right? Yeah, you need a racing oh, bike no. and, and all the lycra stuff. Yeah, and then you and then you've got to zoom, <laughs> oh, got to zoom past do. pedestrians oh. at about sort of two centimeters gap. And uh, we'll if, we'll can we, can we propose that if somebody donates 200 euros to the podcast, that Paul will buy a full lycra <laughs> yes. racing suit yeah. and we will the, post the it full on our racing cycle. Yeah. Oh, no, we will not do that because we will not financially benefit from that because all this gear is, is expensive <laughs> as hell. No, we don't We don't need you to buy the bike. You just have to buy the suit, and we're going to get the oh, suit yeah. made with the, the Dutch News logo on it. This oh, is good. Okay. This is a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good plan. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can't quit. Okay. This podcast is Hotel California, man. You can check out. You can never leave. That's how it works. Speaking of never being able to leave things, Cherry Baudet. Forum for Democracy leader Cherry Baudet spent this weekend touring through the Netherlands, laying flowers at statues of heroes from Dutch history. Uh, it was his response to the taking down of statues of slave owners, slave traders, and other controversial historical figures in the United States and the United Kingdom, uh, following the massive uh, Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, Baudet first visited the statue of Jan van Schaffelaar in Barneveld. Do we know who Jan van Schaffelaar is? No. No. Me neither. Nobody yeah, knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. Apparently, it's some sort of hero from the 15th century civil war in the Netherlands. All right. All right, cool. uh, so he laid flowers mm. at, the, at that statue. Uh, after that, Baudet went to the Afsluitdijk, where he honored engineer Cornelis Lely with the same bouquet of flowers. Uh, he Wait, ended, literally uh, the same bouquet? He was like... Well, it, it was the same type of, oh, okay. of okay. <laughs> so it was the same colors of uh, you know the same how do you, how do you call that yeah, uh, same um, design or whatever it was the, it was same, the same flowers but in exactly the same arrangement though wasn't it i mean i actually yeah. got the strong suspicion it was in fact the identical same bouquet that would be uh, that's classic I mean, dutch move right like two cheap it is that's what i thought just by yeah one. re-gift your own gift yeah even if he bought several bouquets uh, and he he bought the same design then he's mm. giving the impression that he only have one right so mm. he didn't really think this through um, Cherry Baudet didn't think something. But through. but do we do we <laughs> think uh, <laughs> do we think that um, Cornelis Lely is a controversial figure? The guy who designed not not as far as I no I, d- I didn't I didn't think so. I mean, did no. he secretly own slaves? Did he use slave labor <laughs> to build the Alfsloutdijk? <laughs> and I was just not aware of this. No, but he came up with the concept of Flevoland. So I think that's a yeah, that's, that's quite worse. controversial. Yeah, yeah fair yeah. enough. That's yeah. much worse. Yeah, well, um, though, well though, surely the, 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 there is no word, there's no more kind of shaming thing than having Lady Stutt named after you. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it is it is awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and after that, um, Thierry Baudet went to the statue of Jan Pieterson Koen in Horn. That was a uh, governor and general of the VOC, the Dutch Indies Company. Okay, so uh, that is more controversial. This guy's that real bad. A, yeah. yeah, even I <laughs> yeah. knew this. Yeah. <laughs> He is uh, one of the most controversial figures from the Dutch colonial past, and he is inf- he infamously committed genocide to the inhabitants of the Indonesian Banda Islands uh, in order to establish a monopoly in nutmeg. 
Uh, so he is uh, highly controversial, and yeah. a, a debate has been going on for years now about the removal of the statue, which stands uh, prominently in the central square of Horen in uh, North Holland. Um, Baudet filmed a little video next to the statue where he incorrectly claimed Jan Peterson Kuhn founded the VOC, even though Kuhn was only 15 years old at that time and studying accountancy in Rome. Uh, but, you know, he's just a historian, so what does he know about history? Perhaps his um, apology. Yeah, um, mm. Baudet also called on everyone to do the same as he did and lay flowers at the statues of Dutch heroes while using the hashtags Bloemenrevolutie and Onze Helden, so Flowers Revolution and Our Heroes. Uh, but a quick glance at these hashtags showed that almost nobody followed his example, so it wasn't a huge success. Mm. Shockingly, that We're something Baudet did was not a huge success. Yeah, it didn't take off. But uh, yeah. did, in fact, did anybody... Follow his example. I mean, was there any pictures of anyone laying I, I think, on I, I think, I think a handful of people. But right. I mean, uh, uh, he specifically asked people to do it and then used that hashtag. So I, yeah. I checked that hashtag on several occasions, and I, I didn't see anyone, uh, yeah, posting photos of their flowers at statues yeah. or something. So yeah. I don't think it was a huge success. But maybe no. I sent it to him personally. I don't know. What would be the icing on the cake for me here? Would be if uh, somebody actually checked. Baudet's parliamentary expenses in a couple of weeks and discovered that he put in <laughs> uh, a bonnetier for, for a bouquet of flowers. This week we will update you on the latest coronavirus developments and how much unemployment the Dutch planning agency expects to rise. We will tell you if you are still able to buy tompoeses and rookworsten and we will have perhaps the saddest news we ever brought to you. The cabinet is under pressure to reopen secondary schools fully now that coronavirus infections are falling. The one and a half metre social distancing rule has already been scrapped in primary schools because young children have a very low risk of transmitting the virus and teachers can now be tested. The CNFA teaching union says the rules should also be relaxed for teenagers and that view is supported by increasing numbers of head teachers and parents. Prime Minister Mark Rutte is due to give another press conference next Wednesday when he's expected to confirm that the next stage of removing the lockdown can go ahead on July the 1st, or in July, as it's also known. <laughs> Cinemas, theatres and restaurants will be allowed to have up to 100 visitors at a time and gyms and sports clubs will be allowed to reopen. But the basic rules of keeping one and a half metres apart, hand hygiene and wearing masks on public transport are expected to remain in place. Do we uh, do we like the mask on public transport, or do we just avoid public transport at all? I've at tried to point? avoid it. I have been on a train once um, because I sold my car, and then obviously I didn't have any any way of getting home. Uh, you sold your to car. Take the train. Yes, I, well, you, I, you bought I, another I bought car new, first. Yeah. I have bought another car first. Yeah, I do have a car. So I, do, I, do, I but, you, but you recently bought a new car, or yeah, or I did. No, that's the thing. But I sold the old one. The thing is, I, 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 I bought the car first. Then coronavirus happened, oh. so I had a second-hand car I couldn't sell. Um, so on top, of, course, of being a, uh, on top of being a landlord, a, 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 a <laughs> sort of land baron situation, you are also now <laughs> becoming one of these like rappers who has a garage full of vehicles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but <laughs> gar garage full of really, garage full of really crappy second-hand cars. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I mean. Clearly, whatever you're into, Gordon. We were a two-car household, even though only one of us could drive. So yeah. it was a bit so you're, pointless. So you're not a cult leader with the largest <laughs> uh, uh, collection of Rolls Royces. Uh, no, no, okay. definitely not. I don't even have any, uh, even a fraction of a Rolls Royce. I, oh. I, I, I had a clapped out old Peugeot, which is now gone. Which is good. <laughs> but anyway, but because of that, I had to go. I had to take the train home and uh, wear a mask, and it was all very uncomfortable and a bit weird. So um, yeah. I, I won't be doing that again in a hurry. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's yeah. sort of annoying, but it's mostly fine. Like, I, I, we're not doing a lot of 
uh, non-essential travel by train. We're not doing any non-essential travel by train. Like, I'm not going places to socialize with people. But I don't think I would be doing that even if we weren't obligated to wear the masks. Like, I'm not doing that because there's a pandemic on and I feel like it's better to... To, to stay at home if you can. I mean, it's not always an option. Some people like have to go to work. Um, yeah, yeah. Some people don't have cars, yeah, so, so have to. I mean, we don't. You, we you don't have transport. a car. We've rented yeah. a car to 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 go see family for some like health issue things, and that's basically it. But hmm. um, again, that I it doesn't. It's not really the mask that's the deterrent factor. Speaking of travel, what's the uh, what's the deal with our uh, our summer holiday plans, Gordon? Yeah, well, the good news is they have unlocked um, the, uh, the borders to various countries in Europe, which is good news for Dutch tourists, possibly less good news for French campsite owners. Um, <laughs> but you can now travel to France, Italy, Germany, Switzerland, and everyone's favourite destination. Belgium. Of course. Um, yeah, among, so there's a total of 16 European countries which we can switch now to code yellow, which means uh, observe local restrictions, but they're not advising you against travelling anymore. Uh, however, travel to the UK and Sweden is not recommended because uh, their governments haven't got their acts together, basically, and there's still high levels of infection there. If you go to either of those countries, you'll be asked to spend 14 days in quarantine when you come home. Although I noticed that that quarantine is not compulsory, although as, uh, which oh. is what sort of Ritter implied in the beginning. I wonder if there's a, yeah. <coughs> a legalist, I wonder if maybe the Rat from Starter has told him you I, can impose they, quarantine. They probably do not have a legal framework yeah, to force you to so. stay inside, but yeah. you are highly... Encouraged. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're uh, strongly, it's strongly recommended. Basically. Strongly recommended um, to yeah. go into uh, self-quarantine, yeah. Yeah, but in the UK, if you, if you break your quarantine, you can be fined. So, I mean, there okay. is compulsory. So. There's okay. also a further list of 17 countries, including Spain, Greece, and the Dutch Caribbean islands, which are expected to open their borders to tourists in the next few weeks. So, uh, I illegally traveled to Belgium last week. Oh, did he? Oh, my God. Oof. Because what they did Scandal. was they uh, reopened the border, but you was but within Belgium where you were still not allowed to do non ex non uh, essential um, trips. Yeah. And I went to visit a friend, so I, that wasn't a uh, uh, an essential trip. And on top of that, I also did you uh, go by train or did you drive? I I went by bus. Oh okay. Um, but uh, I was also not only I was illegally in Belgium. I was traveling illegally because I was also uh, a foreigner. Um, I was also uh, how do you call that? Zwarte uh, rijden. Oh yeah. yeah. You, 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 you oh yes. Yeah, you were on yeah, the bus because without paying. I, yeah, I stepped on in the bus in Tilburg to go to Belgium, uh, but they have this payment system where you can send a text message to uh, a number and then that's your ticket. But yeah. because I was in, in the Netherlands, I sent that text, but it didn't go to the Belgium number. Uh, so uh, when I arrived in Belgium, I looked at my phone and I saw that the text message wasn't sent. So I uh, wow. illegally traveled into Belgium without paying. So I broke yeah. a lot of rules uh, on that trip. I'm not sure. We might have to cut this part out of the podcast. You might like, get arrested. <laughs> I hear yeah. the Belgian authorities are real uh, interested in, uh, in in arresting people for totally absurd, ridiculous stuff for no reason. <laughs> yeah, especially Dutch tourists. Uh, and is there news about uh, vaccines? Yeah, there's been a few uh, encouraging developments on the medical front. Uh, the Netherlands uh, teamed up with Germany, France and Italy to buy 300 million doses of the Oxford vaccine, which is a vaccine being developed uh, in the UK that's had promising results in their laboratory tests. When they tested the vaccine on monkeys, they were less likely to get inflammation of the lungs. However, the, uh, the, the, the move by um, a, a group of um, European countries raised a few hackles in Brussels, which has been urging EU member states not to get into a scramble for vaccines. And so the alliance has now 
now being folded into the European Commission's purchasing program. Um, so uh, another one that's cracking uh, Europe, European um, bureaucratic scandals there. Uh, <laughs> also in the UK, some patients have been successfully treated with dexamethasone, which is a steroid that prevents lung inflammation. And it's estimated that 5,000 people fewer could have died in the UK if it had been used from the start. Uh, that's out of oh. around 65,000 uh, deaths in, the, in Britain. Medical experts have stressed it's not a preventive medicine, so don't be tempted to buy it online. It's a very cheap medicine, but it is basically... It's only effective if you've really got damaged lungs, basically. Oh. Um, Has someone told Trump this? Uh, probably. Okay. Yeah, but he won't, he won't have listened. Okay, just so, checking. I'm sure lots of people have told him. Yeah, but I got a little bit of experience because uh, my wife was, was on dexamethasone the last few weeks of her life. Mm. But it is basically oh. if, if you've got inflamed lungs, then it it will sort of stop the your immune system from kind of um, you know uh, producing uh, lots of fluid to fight the, the rogue object in your lung, which yeah. then uh, obviously causes you problems. That's how it works. Oh. Um, researchers at Amsterdam's UMC teaching hospital, meanwhile, say they've identified an antibody in blood samples that could be used to make a cheap and effective medicine for coronavirus. It's said to be a hundred times more powerful than antibodies taken from previous coronaviruses. And if, if initial tests are successful, a medicine could be ready to trial on humans as early as January. Oh, oh okay. that's good. That's promising. Yeah, it is all promising. Yeah, as ever, you, you have lots of these kind of early, um, uh, these medical developments that, that, that sound promising, but you know, there's a lot of hurdles still to get over before. Yeah, uh, they're, of course. They're, you know, they're, they're oven ready. Um, this, yeah, I think with the Oxford vaccine particularly, there's, um, they, they kind of put out the, the the pharmaceutical company behind it kind of put out this press release last week to kind of drum up a lot of uh, excitement, but uh, they're still kind of very much in the early stages, and there's a lot can go wrong. Um, yeah, and uh, do we have some uh, new numbers? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, the numbers are still ticking over. The death, the death rate slowed down to around five a day now from a peak of over 160. So just over 6,000 people uh, officially have died, but that's not counting uh, deaths in nursing homes and the community. Uh, hospital admissions are running at around three or four a day. And despite the increase in testing, the number of infections is continuing to fall gradually. 99% uh, of coronavirus tests are now coming back negative. Uh, there was one slight concern, so there's a little bump in the number of intensive care patients uh, this week. It went up three days in a row, uh, but to 87, which is a lot oh. less than the, than the peak, um, and still well below the level of 30, 30 in three days, which is the kind of um, the, the red flag number that will trigger uh, potentially a new lockdown. Um, yeah, because we have this, um, what's it called, a, a the Corona dashboard, dashboard yeah, which yeah. Uh, which have all these, uh, which which tracks all these sort of numbers, and uh, you can see there is a sort of slider, uh, and when the arrow is in in green, then it's all uh, yeah going yeah. well, and as long as uh, it it doesn't uh, surpass the sort of the trigger number, then uh, everything is going well, and if so, then we need new restrictions, for example. But until yeah. now, we are we are we are we are fairly. Um, we are safe in the green, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's basically still declining. I think it's encouraging that I mean, the, the, the inc when they increase the testing capacity at the start of the month, uh, so that basically it's universal testing now. If you, if you want to test, you can get one yeah. within 24 hours. And the number of infections sort of went up a little bit, but then it's already started to decline um, again. And the, 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 the percentage of positive tests has gone right down. I'm just um, really so uh, surprised yeah. by it because I thought if we're going to test more, then we will yeah. eventually uh, end up with more cases. But that yeah. doesn't seem to be the that case. Hasn't been, no, it hasn't been the case at all. They're anticipating about 600 a day, and actually it's more like 150. Yeah. So interesting. Um, yeah, there's also been a, there's a rash I saw this morning of uh, false positive tests in uh, Dordrecht. 
Um, they, oh. they, 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 lim- they, they, rev- they removed about 15 positive tests from the total because they found out that, the, that there was something with, labo- something, uh, with laboratory that was, okay. I- that was issuing uh, false positives. So hmm. um, the numbers were even smaller than, they, than we thought they were. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. And it sort of uh, shows that social distancing works, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I, th- I think lockdowns basically especially work. Yeah, lockdown. Um, yeah. And and if you lock down for longer, the, 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 the thing is, you you want to get your numbers down to the point where you can you can monitor and control the the, the, the virus without a lockdown. Right. And uh, I think you know it looks as if um, you know um, this, given that since we emerged from lockdown, we haven't had a spike in cases. That that uh, so far um, seems to have worked. So the Corona numbers might look like good news, but the Dutch economy numbers do not. The Dutch economy will shrink 6% this year because of the coronavirus crisis, while unemployment will double by 2021. That's according to the government's macroeconomic think tank, Sepe Bay. Without a second wave, the economy will contract in 2020, but will grow again by 3% in 2021. Unemployment will rise from 3.4% to 5% this year and to 7% next year. Public finances would be seriously impacted, but I guess in what is some good news, they will not enter the danger zone, the CPB said. The forecasts play a key role when ministers draw up their budgets for the coming year. With a second wave, however, GDP would also decrease in 2021, with unemployment rising to 10% and public debt increasing to over 75% of GDP. So let's all uh, keep those masks on and stay home whenever Mm. possible, because we really do not want a second wave. Yeah. Well, one one question I had on these economic figures is that obviously they're talking about 6% reduction over the whole year. But how much of that has already happened? I mean, are we saying that this is basically economic contraction that we've had up until now during the lockdown or is there more to come? Yeah, it, well, it's a bit of both. What they're saying is, yeah. is that like it's from the from compared to uh, uh, where it was at the start of the year to the end of the year. And you're they're in the mm-hmm. midst of it now. So it will there is more contracting, but some of the contraction has already occurred. But that percentage will be relative to January 1st, right? Yeah. That's that's what we... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or December 31st. I'm actually not precisely sure where they draw the line. But yeah, it's compared comparatively from from where it was when when the year started. In another report released this week, Family Spending Institute NIBUD, also side note, I did not know the Netherlands had a Family Spending Institute. Oh, yeah. We've um, talked about it many times in this podcast. That's what so I thought You're just well. going to have yes. to uh, pay more attention to our own podcast, Molly. Uh, Indeed. I can't be bothered. I'm too busy being uh, getting a runner's high to listen to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's also got another, it's also another one that's uh, many, many uh, acronyms to add to your list as well. Yeah, NIBUD. NIBUD. I don't know what yeah. it stands for. I didn't even put it in here because, like, I did not think that was relevant. Uh, National oh. Institute for Budget Voorlichting. Oh, yeah. there you go. Uh, anyway, the National Institute for Budget Forelicting found that the under 35s <laughs> in particular were worried about keeping their jobs, their income, and spending their savings. However, in general, people were less worried about their personal financial situation than they were two months ago. In April, 21% of people expected their income to go down, but that percentage was almost halved to 12%. Hmm. Uh, and there also has been a lot of talk in the Dutch press about uh, unemployment status of international workers as well, I've seen. 
Yeah, partially uh, based on a survey that Dutch News conducted. Uh, nearly all of the country's national newspapers, the NRC, the Volkskrant, the Financiële Dagblad, Het Parool, wrote stories using our survey data about employment, as did uh, the ANP, the NOS, uh, Omroep West, and the Reformatische Dagblad. Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's the SGP newspaper. The SGP newspaper, yeah. 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 Um, everybody pretty much focused on the precarious position of so-called expats, so that's foreigners who've been sent here by their employers for work, because if someone on a highly skilled migrant visa loses their job they have three months to find another one or risk deportation and our survey found that almost half of respondents were concerned about the impact of coronavirus on their jobs and income hmm. so that's more than the um uh, than than dutch people in general in general yeah, yeah. because of the immigration yeah. situation so i mean yeah. if you lose yeah. your job as a dutch person you know you don't you don't have to leave your house. I mean, maybe you lose your house no. because you lost your job, but you don't have to leave the country. If you lose no. your job as a as a foreigner, then you you have to go home, which means you now you got to take your kids out of school and all this kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. and it's complicated and difficult. The CDA leadership contest has officially begun after the CDA party set a deadline of June 24th for candidates to put their name forward. Interim leader Pieter Heerma, who succeeded Sibrand Buma as party leader in the Tweede Kamer, has said from the beginning he was not going to leave the CDA's list in the upcoming election, which is scheduled for next March. Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge have been widely considered to be the main contestants, but Hoekstra said in an interview with Telegraaf newspaper earlier this week he is not going to run for leadership. He told the newspaper he already concluded around Christmas he wasn't going to do it, despite encouragement from many people from both inside and outside the party. Hoekstra said he doesn't see himself as a career politician, but more as a manager. Um, that other frontrunner, Hugo de Jonge, did announce his candidacy almost immediately after Hoekstra said he wasn't going to do it, by the way. Um, and he uh, announced this on Thursday. He launched his campaign with exclusive interviews with not one, not two, not three, but four morning newspapers uh, on Friday morning. How is that right. an exclusive interview? <laughs> I think I think his 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 uh, PR team just did an excellent job in contacting newspapers and claiming that they were going to be the the only ones uh, doing an interview. Yeah. But, I mean, fair um, enough. Uh, I mean, he did manage to um, to to get an interview with all the other uh, news, yeah, b- basically a- all the other major newspapers. So he did an interview with almost as many newspapers as the Dutch News Survey ended up in. So I guess good <laughs> good work, exactly. us or him or both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. M- m- maybe uh, his uh, the CDR should should hire RPR uh, RPR team. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is anyone else going to stand for the leadership then now that Fuchsal's dropped out? Uh, well, it's wildly rumored that Deputy Economy Minister Mona Kaiser might put her name forward. Uh, she already tried before to become the CDA leader in 2012. And she yeah, basically has always said that she is still very interested in the job. Uh, until now, she hasn't officially declared herself to be a candidate. So it's still unclear if Hugo de Jonge will be the only candidate and if she's willing to uh, take it up against uh, you know such a front runner because Hugo de Jonge is wildly considered to be the main contestant. He also mm. uh, managed to get an uh, endorsement from both Vert Grapperhaus and former leader Sibrand Buma. So um, yeah, if she is going to uh, to 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 stand up against him, then yeah, she's already a few points behind. So, so yeah, she's speak. got some ground to make up. 
Yeah. Uh, the deadline is June 24th, uh, so she still has some time to decide. The party board will then make an official endorsement, and depending on how many candidates there are, they will decide if they're going to organize some speeches and debates and stuff like that. But there is something that we really need to discuss here, uh, and that is okay. the fact that um, I think uh, Wopke Hoekstra uh, realized that he wasn't uh, prime minister uh, material when he was uh, visiting a school in uh, November. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. He was uh, giving a talk about, you know, uh, spending money because he is a finance minister to a bunch of school children. And he asked these children, uh, what are you spending your money on? And then one of these, uh, one of the boys said, I, I remember this. Yeah. Mm. He said, I like to spend my money on Kapsalon. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, Hoekstra was a little bit confused by that. So <laughs> he said, okay, so some people sp spend, like to spend it on games and this guy likes to spend it on a hairdresser. And then the, whole the, uh, the, the entire class started laughing out loud because clearly Hoekstra did not realize that a capsalon is not referring to a hairdresser, mm -hmm. but to the delicious traditionally Dutch meal, a capsalon, yes. which is... As a concept, it is flawless. But yes. can mm. can someone be the leader of this country if he doesn't know what a capsalon is? No, absolutely not. Absolutely, no, not. absolutely not. That's yeah, not yeah. Possible. He also, yeah, he also had a painful moment. Um, uh, I was, I was reading um, on, uh, I think it was one of the talk shows. Uh, was it Opain, um, where he was on? Um, he, he was a guest, and um, uh, there was a rapper. Um, uh, on the, <laughs> oh God! This is going yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he was he, um, he was on the Power Talk show um, uh, with uh, uh, with a rapper by the name of Busy, um, and Hoekstra was talking about um, how uh, he, he was basically trying to do this kind of you know thing that politicians do, where he pretend to be down with the kids, and he said that his daughter was really into rapper Busy. Yeah. Um, and his daughter was nine years old. At oh which point, God. Busy actually Busy actually read out some of his lyrics <laughs> on air, which were about well about sex basically, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hoekstra's face kind of sort of started to immediately sort of. Uh, Oh, that's yeah. amazing! Just stiffen and crease up. Yeah, yeah. Just before <laughs> Hoekstra said that he, uh, yeah, he likes his music so much and that his children are really fan of a, a great fan of him, but he never really heard any 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 anything of his music before. So yeah, that was a bit <laughs> of an awkward moment. But I wasn't done with the capsulon yet. Oh, sorry. Because oh, continue. okay. Carry on because with the because Hugo de Jonge was asked uh, if he likes. Kapsalon, because he's from Rotterdam, of course, and a Kapsalon mm. as well. And he said that he really likes it, but he uh, then he started talking about Kapsalon, and he clearly did not know what a Kapsalon was, because oh he said God. that it's, it's basically a sandwich with some french fries and with some uh, uh, kebab. But it's not mm. a sandwich, of course. It, it has no. nothing to do with a sandwich. So I, I don't, This is like the second thing you learn about the Netherlands after you move here. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And the first thing being that not all Dutch people are high all the time. And the second thing is like, what is a capsulon and when should you eat one? I it mean, is, I think it took mm. me like three days of living in this country <laughs> to have a capsulon and understand exactly. the concept. So Bob Hoekstra is not prime ministerial material. Uh, Hugo de Jonge is also not a prime minister material because he doesn't know what it is. So my hope is that Mona Kaiser knows what it is. And uh, mm. if so, then she gets my endorsement. Yeah, this should be the only question. Basically, yeah, this is the only question. That's the only question I'm asking now yeah. for. Yeah. If uh, if I'm going to vote for someone, I want to know if he knows what a capsulon is or not, or she. Yeah. And that is basically the main, uh, the main thing I will determine my vote on. 
I agree. Yeah. I agree with this yeah. wholeheartedly. Uh, and there's also news about the Deus Assessic Leadership Conference. How are they doing in the Capsulon uh, controversy? <laughs> we don't know, but I'm sure Sigrid Kaag will not know what a Capsulon is, too. She's really? I feel like Sigrid Kaag might be... But no. She seems like she's a little more down with the kids than Hoekstra is. No, no she's, not she's, at all. She's out, the con- all. she's out of the country for 20 years. Yeah. She only came back yeah, in 2017. So, yeah. Yeah. She's not down with the kids at all. I, I expected no. uh, uh, Hugo de Jonge to know it, but she... she no, she, I don't think she will. But, if you uh, had to have dinner with one of them, Kaag or uh, uh, Hoekstra, who would you choose, Paul? I would choose Hoekstra. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. really? Kaag no, would be much more interesting. I would, def- I would definitely go for Kaag. Mm. Yeah. I know, I know yeah. just nobody even considered Hugo de Jong as, no. as a candidate no, dear, for that. Dear, no. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, no. <laughs> no, no. That's nobody it. likes no, to no talk to Makelaars with... Uh, with, yeah, with, with, with dodgy shoes. With, yeah. with ridiculous shoes. With clown shoes. If I wanted face. to talk to Hugo de Young, I would just go find a brace, a betting track somewhere and just hang out in the back shed area. And you yeah, could exactly. have the same conversation. Um, going back to D66, there are several sources in The Hague that uh, say that Sigrid Kaag will announce her candidacy for uh, that other coalition party uh, leadership contest next week. Sigrid Kaag is currently the uh, foreign affairs minister or the second foreign affairs minister because we mm. currently have two. Deze uh, sister does not want to deny or confirm the rumor, and Kaag herself told the NOS that she made a decision, but she is not willing to share it yet. Uh, current party leader Rob Jette is also expected to be a candidate, but he uh, hasn't declared himself yet as well. Uh, there yeah. is one other person who uh, is going to uh, uh, join in the contest. Do you know who it is? Um. Uh. It's not Alexander Petholt's um, mistress, is it? (laughs) No, nobody knows who it is. Because it's uh, former taxi driver Ton Visser from Brabant. But nobody knows who it is. I think it's just a a random Hmm. member of the Deza Sister Party. But he's the only official candidate. It's probably a fake account. In most places, uh, everybody worries about the politicians going into lobbying and lobbyists going into politicians but in the netherlands apparently this is just between politicians and people who drive public transport vehicles <laughs> i find this very confusing yeah 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 because you had fred taven going the other way yeah and becoming a bus driver yeah um and, and of course uh, yeah and uh, kaiser longkun has also ruled herself out from days as yeah. earlier on so we, we were a couple of months ago we were looking forward to a real you know a summer of kind of really bitter bloody polit- political bun fights for to lead these coalition parties yeah and now it looks like um it's all gonna be fairly straightforward because we all will be leader of the cdr um yetan has also said he'll step he'll step aside if a if a woman of um sufficiently high profile uh, comes forward so that makes it look as if Kach is basically assuming for Deza's Zestic leadership and yeah. uh, it looks almost in- increasingly certain that Rutte will uh, lead the Fefe Day again we're gonna so have a really com- boring summer in yeah, the yeah really you know after the first half of this year I'm in for a boring summer guys <laughs> we have had enough going on If you're appreciating our endeavours to keep you up to date with the impact of coronavirus, the changing of the guard in Dutch political parties, or the latest tour dates for Baudet's colonial bouquet, why not sponsor us on Patreon? All new patrons get a shout-out from us as a way of saying thank you and the chance to ask us a question. And this week we welcome three new patrons and some excellent questions. 
Uh, first up, James Shields, who says, uh, Thank you so much for keeping me informed about what is happening around me without having to suffer through the nightly NOS journal. Well, we're, we're very glad we've been able to relieve you of that, uh, James. <laughs> we watch it so you don't have to, basically. Yes, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, his question is, uh, did Geert Wilders' hair turn black during the lockdown since he could not get someone to dye it? Or does he just wash it with bleach or peroxide at home? So what do we think? Well, my, my theory is that as a child, he fell into a kettle of peroxide. And since then, he doesn't have to dye his hair anymore because it's permanently turned into that color. He's kind of like Obelix. Yeah. I think if he pays a professional person to make his hair look like that, then that person really needs to have their hairdressing license revoked. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a home haircut job. I think he's he was very prepared for lockdown because he was used to doing this anyway. That's my theory. Yeah, I'm not sure it turns black anymore either. I think probably it is almost naturally that color now. Oh, anyway, yeah. Just uh, with, the, yeah, with the passing of time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our next patron is Peter in Amsterdam, uh, who's originally from Nigeria, but moved to the Netherlands for work. He says, quote, I've been listening to your pod for over a year now, and it's my main source for keeping up with the happenings in the country. Sorry, Peter. He asks, I wonder if the Dutch listeners of the show, um, how they perceive Molly's jokes about uh, their culture. Do you get any negative comments or feedback? Um... Well, Molly. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks my jokes are funny. Not just the Dutch people. <laughs> I think it's everybody. <laughs> um, I mean, I do get some hatred for some things. I, it's not totally clear to me how much you can separate the endless amount of joke cracking about Dutch culture from just like being a woman on the internet necessarily but i think mostly people think it's funny i mean the fundamental thing is is that i like living in the netherlands and i think it's a good place to live so i mean it's not that i hate living here which is sometimes what people say or that like you should go back to wherever or you should move somewhere else like it's not that it's just that you know like with every place there's always things that are like weird and funny my mother-in-law who is dutch finds the podcast very funny so i think that that's what i'm going with yeah that's hmm. a good message uh, actually as well i think in the last few weeks i think uh, ben coates has done a splendid job of kind of diverting all the trolls away from you every other tweet yeah. seems to be almost almost, almost calculated to, to enrage the you know the, the nationalists he's provoking angry dash mobs but i think that the main difference with bankos and molly is that bankos is, is is very serious yeah he, he is very serious mm. when he tweets it so uh, i think as long as you sort of pack your criticism in a joke then i i think generally speaking people can take it yeah. yeah and it's more about sort of picking over the kind of the quirks of dutch culture you know like the circle parties yeah. and um you know this kind of the, yeah, the, the exactly. obsession with bureaucracy you know that if you make a point about svarte pete as a foreigner however valid it is that a certain section of people are, are not going to take it well but um nevertheless uh, that shouldn't stop you from um from speaking your mind i mean as a dutchman i don't mind jokes at all but that's only on the condition that i am also free to make jokes about other people's countries and cultures if you actually know about uh, them i think in return yeah, the other point is you know we can't kind of do this from an informed position because we actually live here and understand how the country works we're not sort of some some person sitting in tennessee tweeting about dutch people wandering around all high on drugs the whole time which is complete nonsense so. <laughs> i yeah but i wouldn't i i'm not in any way shape or form uh taking that serious yeah. or i feel offended about that i mean everyone from everywhere in the world can say stuff like that but very often it's not based on anything so yeah then i just think this is not true and i move on i am often surprised at what sort of 
snarky remarks that I make bring the crazies sort of like out of the woodwork because I can go kind of like weeks of making like dumb jokes about Dutch people and their like weird political scandals or like even Zwart to Pete stuff. I mean, I think people maybe they just expect it or whatever. And then like something will happen. Like I tweeted out the opening line to Nightmare Slapa, which is like apparently considered to be one of the best um, opening lines in Dutch literature. I think we talked about this last week or two weeks ago. The line is, the porter is disabled, which I was like, well, this is an indication of the quality of Dutch literature. And people got enraged. <laughs> and what I found really funny about this is, is that like when you were engaging with some of these people, it's very clear that none of them have ever read much Dutch classic literature, which I've read extensively, like much more so than most Dutch people I know. And so I was like, I mean... You know, it's fine if you want to be mad at me, but, like, maybe you should know what you're getting upset about. So, I don't know. Sometimes weird things piss people off. There's 7 billion people on the planet. Some of them are not going to like me. <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. Uh, finally, we uh, say thank you to uh, Luis Matute, who uh, doesn't have a question for us, uh, but we appreciate your support uh, very much, all the same uh, as we do all of our other patrons. And if you'd like to be part of our crack team of podcast patrons, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. And if you don't donate 200 euros we're gonna put paul in a lycra biking suit and make him take photos please don't uh, donate 200 euros we will all still be able to get our tompus and our rokewurst high street staple hema has reached an agreement with a group of shareholders on a deal which the company says will give it quote adequate financial flexibility to support its future development Hema was taken over by Bookhorn in 2018, but has been loss-making since 2013 and was saddled with debt by several private equity owners, most recently Lion Capital. The financial situation only worsened with the corona crisis, with sales down 26% in March and April, although they are now picking up. Earlier this month, the Financiële Dagblad reported that the Dutch government was considering propping up Hema and had asked merchant bank Lazard to assess the role that the state could have. Government officials have been monitoring the company's financial health carefully because it's a major employer with some 9,500 workers in the Netherlands alone. The deal involves the shareholders swapping debt for company shares and therefore ousting current owner Marcel Bookhorn. This will cut the company's outstanding debt from $750 million to $300 million, reducing refinancing risk and cutting interest payments from $50 million to around $30 million per year. We can't leave the story, of course, without mentioning uh, Bonubo, which is uh, the, the, the ingenious financial instrument that Marcel Bukhorn uh, created when he took over Hamas. I don't understand it properly, um, but it, it basically, did he not sort of um, hive off the debt into a kind of shell company and uh, gave yeah. it the name of Bonubo's nuclear bomb, something like that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah something like this. But what what is kind of funny about this is, is that since the protests have started in the US, there's been a lot of funny jokes going around the internet about people like looting stores and what they say is is like yeah the, you know i think even like the onion or mcsweeties had an article about how like people broke into a target and stole stuff and they did it without forming like a financial services company <laughs> first and therefore it's illegal because of all of this like sort of predatory kind of yeah. takeovers where these sort of hedge funds and stuff they buy up companies and then they saddle them with a lot of debt and then the companies go bankrupt but it doesn't matter because they got paid a lot of money in it and so yeah this is like one of these situations and it's sad because i like hema and they make a good Tompus, and I want them to continue to exist, so I'm glad they work something out. A friend of mine who lives in Belgium texted me to be like, I'm not going to continue living in this part of the world if there is no Hema. I will move somewhere else. 
There will be no Cannes Bay Cup final this season after UFC Utrecht gave up their extensive campaign to have the match played. Despite threatening court action, pleas to Sports Minister Marty van Rijn and devising a cunning plan to play the match all the way out in Bonaire, the club's entreaties fell on deaf ears. The match was Utrecht's last hope of qualifying for next season's Europa League, which would have earned them a minimum of 2.85 million euros. Instead, they'll have to make do with a 600,000 euro compensation payout from the Canfe Bay Solidarity Fund. To rub salt into the wounds, one of the European places went to their adversaries in the cup final, no other team than Dick Advocaat's Feyenoord. <laughs> it always comes back to Dick Advocaat. <laughs> it always comes back to Dick Lawyer, yeah. But it means, of course, if Dick Lawyer wants to actually win a trophy in his final season, he'll have to, well, he is, he is going to be manager for another season, so... That's probably a powerful incentive. Cambria Leovada, De Graafschap, FC Volodam and Nak Berida will also receive smaller payouts because they lost out of the chance of provision to the Eno Divisi. But I was kind of enthralled by this whole story about um, Utrecht devises complicated plan to fly all the players out to Bonaire to play the um, cup final there, which was smacked <laughs> up being kind of like the, the holiday plan for the end of the football season. What these sports teams are doing is completely insane so like the nba the basketball association in the u.s they're talking about like moving all the players and all their families and all the coaches and support staff to like disney world and then just like locking them in and having them like play there and there was like this huge blow up when it discovered that like they weren't going to force the like cleaning staff to also be quarantined but let them come and go and then everybody was like well like what's the point of like forcing us to be in this bubble if like all these people are going to be coming and going like why are we spending so much time on trying to figure out if people can go to Bonaire and play fucking football. Like, work on, do something else, guys. It's not that important. Dick Advocaat had some um, uh, a high visitor this week because King Willem Alexander visited Feyenoord on an official visit. And I loved one of the photos that was taken there. Oh, Willem yeah. Alexander was walking on the field. He was smiling, he was waving. Uh, he was, uh, you know, looking, for, looking very enthusiastic. But right next to him, there was a sign which said forbidden to stand on the grass. And it was mm. just a great photo. <laughs> Yeah, he's just walking across the next grass. To, next yeah. to that sign. His pose is kind of very kind of sort of stiff-armed as it often is. I mean, you could, you could always make a statue of uh, Willem Alexander in that pose. Yeah, and exactly. Just stick a keep off the grass sign in front of it. Will people tear that statue <laughs> down in 50 in, years? In That's 100 really years' the time, question. they probably will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because they're outraged about his Greek villa. <laughs> Yeah, or his motorboat. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, there was uh, some more uh, European setbacks for Dutch clubs, wasn't there? Yes, because uh, UEFA has now scheduled the preliminary rounds for next season's Champions League and Europa League in August, uh, which is a problem for Dutch teams because, of course, they're not allowed to play football in the Netherlands until September the first, and that means that Azat Alkmaar could not play their qualifying match in the last week of August at home. Uh, not such a problem for the other teams, actually. Ajax, Willem II, PSV, and as we mentioned, Feyenoord. Uh, they're not due to join in until September, but they will have to play their home games in closed stadia. And speaking of sporting events that are not going ahead, that brings us round to, uh, as we said, a, a terrible, tragic story. In fact, you should probably stop listening if you're of this sensitive disposition. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like small children, anybody who's like easily upset by stuff, just skip to the end of the podcast. Yeah, because this is probably the saddest news we ever brought to you. And it is with deep regret I have to inform you that the highlight of 2020 is cancelled. The much-anticipated Domino Day revival will not be held this year, but will instead be postponed until March 2021. I mean, can we just have a minute's silence at this point? Yeah. 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 No, then the, this podcast will uh, become even longer. So. <laughs> a full 
one minute. Like, come on, you have you have three seconds of silence for yes, that story. Okay. Just like um, when uh, Seb Blatter wanted to have a minute of silence for Nelson Mandela, and then started talking again after 10 seconds. Attempts to break the world record of falling dominoes was an annually recurring event in the Netherlands, broadcasted on live television until 2009. After that year, the organization couldn't find enough sponsors to finance the event uh, due to the financial crisis back then. Uh, And since then, many people have started petitions and have begged the production company to bring back the nostalgic event. But it wasn't until earlier this year it was announced Domino Day would make its return. The current record is set at four and a half million dominoes but we will have to wait until next year to uh, see if that record will be broken and if uh, animals will be shot in the process Indeed. yeah will yeah. they break their record of murdering one animal <laughs> yeah. f- during the next event exactly. that's really my question the sparrow population probably held a party when they heard <laughs> that uh, this event had been yes yeah, so with uh, hematompuses that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Molly Quell. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. So apparently this guy, um, this like former European commissioner guy who is from Malta, which I always think is funny because Malta is, it's the existence of Malta is just a humorous concept is alleged to have been involved in a bribery scandal with a Swedish smokeless tobacco manufacturer. Yeah, because apparently Swedish people are really into smokeless tobacco, and this was one of their negotiating points when they joined the EU, because otherwise it's banned in the EU. Yeah. So apparently a go-between between this Maltese guy who was running some commission that had to do with health stuff um, approached this Swedish snus snus whatever it's called uh smokeless tobacco manufacturer and offered for 60 million euros to get the law banning smokeless tobacco within the rest of the eu overturned uh fun side note this guy was a former circus owner turned like political operative anyway so this company the swedish manufacturing company went immediately to the anti-fraud office and was like this crazy dude is trying to like convince us to give him a bribe So the anti-fraud office opened an investigation, um, which showed that, like, of course, this guy had, like, not disclosed stuff and whatever. So they told the guy, basically, well, the guy claims that he was forced to resign. Um, The president, the European Union president at the time says he quit, which became a whole thing because there's been multiple court cases Uh, at the court of justice about whether or not he was fired or quit, because I guess it matters for like some bullshit European stuff. So that was like a whole separate thing. But then the guy who was in charge of the anti-fraud office, which is called Olaf, uh, because they go by the French acronym. So sure. Why not? He, in the disclosures for these lawsuits, it came out that he sort of engaged in illegal wiretapping during the investigation because (laughs) apparently he stood in the office while one witness called another witness on speakerphone 
And that's illegal in Belgium. Of course, the offices are in Brussels. So what, what, what is illegal in Belgium to call someone on speakerphone? While there's somebody else in the room, if the person you're calling isn't aware that there's somebody else in the room. Oh, this yeah, is considered yeah, yeah. wiretapping, which like is not what wiretapping means. But sure, fine, Belgium. No, no. So the it's eavesdropping. Yeah, yeah, it's at best eavesdropping. Um, so yeah. like Belgium apparently wanted to have this guy's immunity revoked because EU officials have like immunity from prosecution. Um, and yeah. this went on for like months. First, apparently Belgium sent over a request to revoke immunity that was like indecipherable and not legal because Belgium can't get its shit together to like file its paperwork correctly. So after the third attempt, the EU finally agreed to like revoke this guy's immunity. But this is like a bullshit thing. I mean, like he's not going to spend any time in jail because who's going to fucking make somebody spend time in jail for standing in a room while somebody else is on speakerphone. I, I don't know. So he, it turns out that this guy is one of the only EU officials who can contest these kinds of decisions to the court of justice. Most EU officials can't, but this guy can because it's like the fraud office or whatever. <laughs> and so that's had like three cases to discuss whether oh, or not God. this. Yeah. So the court decided yesterday to send it back to the lower court to be decided again. Like it's just this totally insane fucking. It's like the most European Union of scandals. It's just a whole bunch of like regulatory bullshit it, and people from random countries doing weird stuff. It, it involves weird cultural stuff like that uh, non-smoking. Well, yeah, what was it? Non-smoke smoking. Right. Smokeless tobacco from Sweden. A circus owner from Malta. <laughs> it, I mean, it involves Malta, which is its own like weird thing. Because why does Malta even exist? <laughs> it's just such a weird. Anyway, it is a weird thing. I I decided that maybe this is my favorite political affair, surpassing the Bonnages affair. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I can see yeah. why it is because it's just it has so many bizarre layers. Yeah. That it's just, yeah, uh, yeah. I can see that it's an amazing yeah. story. Uh, but 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 uh, as long as there is no Dutchman no. or Dutch woman involved in There's this no, scandal, I, I think tangentially, like a Dutch MEP was like, you should revoke his immunity, and then people were like, we disagree with this, but nothing actually. No Dutch people were like actually involved. Did, 